Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Seven All-Ireland Finals in the last 20 years now for Mayo. I don't think it needs repeating that they have yet to win one of these. I think, though, Murph, it's getting to the stage now that it's almost a bit uncomfortable for anybody such as ourselves from outside the county to talk about Mayo's quest for Sam Maguire. You don't know like, how it feels, though. No, it you feels don't know like, how it feels. It feels like something we should just let them get on with in privacy. They can just tell us when the job is finally done, which is why I propose that fans of Dublin or Kerry, whoever wins that mm. semi-final, should give up their ticket allocation. Yeah. There needs to be a TV blackout. Wi-Fi in Croke Park needs to be switched off. Okay. Mayo people just tell us when the deed is done. Yeah, you can't exactly, watch yeah. this anymore. Just kind of like uh, announcing a new pope. You know, just put up some white smoke. The job is done. It is accomplished. We can all we can all get on with our lives. You were quite struck with the Mayo supporters, even though everybody outside the county and even the players themselves thought they could and would beat Tyrone. Yeah, the fans in Croke Park weren't so. Familiar. Well, see, you know, like in in Connacht, you know, goal play Mayo. If Mayo are going well, Mayo are gonna. You know, they're going to be swaggering around the place. You know, they're, they're going to be, oh, yeah, you decided to show up, did you? Pfft, pathetic. Uh, you know, they're, like they, they're confident. They're naturally confident people. They've won a lot of Connacht titles. They exactly. deserve to be you know, confident. So why wouldn't they? If they've got a good team, you'll hear about it. But then they come up to Crow Park and it's literally like, and the more people were telling them, oh, you know, how do you think it'll go today? And you reckon, oh, yeah, me will win it by five or six points. Oh, don't say that. God, don't say that. <laughs> they're definitely going to win. Yeah, I mean, well, they were definitely going to win. They're not good enough to lose seven in a row. Yeah. I'd I mean, that takes a special, a really special team. Jimmy and White. I don't know if Mayo are, I don't know if Mayo are that. I think they're definitely going to win as far as I'm concerned. You're saying they're too good to lose. They're not far. good enough. They're not good enough to, to lose, lose seven in a row. All right, okay. That would be a historic <laughs> achievement. I think, uh, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's going to have to happen for you. It's it's gonna have to happen just by the law of averages. You, you would know think. What I mean? You would. Think. Uh, and and finally, the law of averages is working in Mayo's, yeah. even in Mayo's favor. But you you kind of think of it in kind of um, in like this broad terms. You know, Mayo will surely win one, but then they actually have to go and win the thing. And Dublin and Kerry are actually both very. No, they will. But I mean, I didn't think they were going to win last year, but having what's it they say. 
You got to lose one to win one, Ged. You got to lose seven. You got to lose seven. And yeah, I, I think. Uh, I mean, certainly, I would be loading everything on Mayo. Going by that logic, they'll be winning big. They won't just be winning. If yeah, we're going by that particular cliche. Where this is the start of a six in a row, basically, is what Ked is saying. No, you got to lose six to win. I yeah. foresee uh, an anticlimactic victory. Well, not it won't be anticlimactic from Mayo's point of view. Everyone else will think, oh, not a vintage final, but uh, <laughs> that will be enough. Not to be too patronising about it, but I would imagine a lot of people do want Mayo to win the All Ireland this year, and also a lot of Gaelic football supporters would like to see Andy Morn captain the team to victory. Yeah, he's going to be talking to us in the show today. Delighted to say, and he's back from injury. Back playing ball, back in an All Ireland final. Yeah, I mean, uh, All Star in two thousand and eleven. Um, very near, came very close to winning an All Star last year, even though he got injured in the uh, quarter final. Just a hugely, hugely important fella for Mayo, uh, given his playing ability, which is immense. But also, I think he's become the talisman of this t- of this team. That if um, you associate the eighty nine team with. Willie Joe Padden or something like that. Andy Moran is that now for this Mayo team. He is the guy that everyone recognises, the guy that is known purely by his first name, the most popular player in the Mayo team without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, if his form has been a little... It's, it's been me? a little patchy this year. It's been a little patchy this year, but I, I still have a feeling that he's going to have a, a massive say in this. I agree with most of what you're saying, but in what circles... Would Andy Moran be known simply by the name Andy? Well, just, <laughs> just in Mayo. I mean, Andy is Andy going well? Yeah. You know, is if somebody Andy said fully that to you Mayo, everyone would know you're talking about Andy Moran. Yeah. Well, who else would they be talking about? Andy Townsend. <laughs> I don't think so, Ken. Uh, we're going to chat about a new slant on the Battle of the Sexes tennis match played between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs in the 1970s. Billie Jean King at the time was Wimbledon champion. 29 years of age, second best tennis player in the world. But Bobby Riggs was 55, I believe, mid-50s by the time he played this match, a former Wimbledon champion himself and a top tennis player in his day. Bobby Riggs had demolished Margaret Court, who was then the number one female tennis player in the world, a few months previously. The Mother's Day Massacre, that was known as Ken. Oh, lovely. I know, yeah. One of those many sporting events that people decide to ascribe unnecessarily warlike (laughs) attributes to. But so then Billie Jean King said as soon as she was watching this match as she was watching this she goes I have to play him yeah. he can't this can't happen so she goes and she plays him she beats him very comfortably he played very badly suspiciously badly to some of those close to him he liked to bet did Bobby Riggs Ken? he liked a big glass of bourbon and a big fat bet <laughs> and uh, that was the thing I mean but it, it, what makes it interesting is the fact that well there's a lot of things that make this story interesting I think but the the fact that to look at that game and go, yeah, I think something's going on here. I think Bob, think Bobby's had a bet on Billie Jean is also coincident with the sort of sexist view of, there's no way he could possibly be losing this for real. That's what Billie Jean King says to this day. In The, the people, person we're going to be talking to wrote a brilliant piece for ESPN, their Outside the Line series, and in it he interviewed Billie Jean King, uh, who has said that exact, made that exact point. She has said that, people who say that now are it's the same as then. People just couldn't accept that a man was beaten by a woman. So the question then is, how? to what extent do you believe? Because the thing is that new information... Well, has new information come forward? We're not sure. There's a person who we're going to hear about who has come forward with what he claims to be the real story. Mm. So, I mean, it's one thing to have sort of sexist views and to go, well, I know what Bobby Riggs was like. There's no way Bobby Riggs... You know, Bobby Riggs had a bet. Um, but maybe somebody does know 
that's something you'd really go on. There may never be a definitive answer in this, but it's one of those questions that's fun to ask, Murph. Much like I was listening to Arnold Schwarzenegger recently. Yeah. I like to listen to Arnie interviews. Of course. Whenever I can. He was speaking to Bill Simmons on the BS yep. Report podcast in the US. Simmons asked him, what was your favourite movie you ever made, Arnie? Okay. Good question. Tough question, but fair. <laughs> Arnold said, I don't have a favourite. Simmons pushes him on it. Come on. you got to have one. I mean, what one him? It's Terminator, obviously. Arnie says no, because how do I choose between Terminator 2, Terminator 1, True Lies, or Twins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, you, that's what you say. I mean, it is real Sophie's choice there. Twins, right twins immediately comes to mind. Well, I remember their little outfits. I remember the poster more, more than I remember any green, of the actual... Wasn't it green and white shirts and sort of cream trousers? Yeah, or, or you know, but you yeah, see, it's, a, it's like a completely unfair question because immediately Arnie finishes that interview. He thinks I didn't mention kindergarten cop, junior. Yeah, junior, yeah. pregnant man. That's pretty incredible that's stuff. A, that like that hilarious. Hercules I mean, I'm laughing already just thinking about it. Yeah, Conan the Barbarian. I mean, have you seen Conan the but Barbarian? Hercules, Hercules was a movie. A funny time, mention yeah. Hercules came. That was always his great dream when he was a young lad in Austria growing up. He came across a sort of fitness and weights magazine and saw a man by the name of Reg Parker, I believe his name was, legendary British weightlifter at the time. Bearing in mind, weightlifting didn't even, wasn't even an underground activity or barely was at that stage. This guy, Reg Parker, ended up in Hollywood, ended up acting in mm. Hercules. And that's when Arnie said, that's exactly what I want to do. At the time, he was reading all sorts. He was reading about great tennis players, great soccer players, didn't know what sport he should be going into, but then that sealed it for him. So he legged it off, left, didn't leave the army, snuck out from his army base, Went and won Mr. Europe Junior or something like that. Yeah. And it was a way to start him. Everyone should watch Hercules in, I think it's called Hercules in New York. Yeah. Just to see what strange things dreams can be made of, you know, in their early stages. We are joined now by Mayo Captain Andy Moran, who has had an eventful 12 months, Andy, but you're back in an All-Ireland final. You've got to be pleased with that. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's great, to be honest. Um, I suppose semi-finals... Um, like on Sunday, semi-finals are for winning. I think David Fitz said that last week in the in Ireland, and uh, I, I totally agree with him. And it's uh, it, it doesn't matter really how you win them. It's uh, the final is the big one now in four weeks for us. Could you go even further than that and say that it's maybe no harm that you didn't play particularly well as a team in the first half? Anyway, th- that seems to be the consensus that you you got the test that everyone keeps talking about. You came through it, but there's obvious room for improvement. Maybe that's not a bad place to be going into a final. No, I'd, I'd agree with you, to be honest with you. It's like, like if, if, if we won it by a, a very marginal, a very big score, we wouldn't have complained either. But it's, um, I suppose we're going into it now and we've, we've a lot of things to work on. Um, I suppose up front we've a few things to work on. Our shot selection, our, our movement, our movement of the ball. So it's, it, it, it's a great place to be. I remember last year when we, when we bet Dublin in the semi-final, we actually played particularly well and it, it was one of the best games of the year. And um, we had a few things to work on that day, but I suppose there was less to work on than there was after coming out of Sunday. Well, the shooting, the shot selection, the shooting itself, Andy, some of it did seem fairly below par, surprisingly so, given what we've seen so far this year. Uh, can you explain why that is? Some really quality forwards kicking almost inexplicable wides in front of the posts. It's, uh, it's just it's it's one of those things. It's um, you, you go into the match. There's a lot of pressure in a semi final. There's actually more pressure I would feel in a semi final than a final. You know, it's, um, and I, I suppose we probably felt a tiny bit of that pressure in, in hindsight. But there's an awful lot of pressure coming in from the Tyrone boys. They probably had eight, nine guys back there every time. So it was uh, it bar, bar the freeze. The shots, the, the shots from play were, were 
we're under huge pressure from the, from the Tyrone lads and I suppose credit to them for doing that, you know. Andy, after last year's final, I think maybe a few days afterwards, you were speaking very confidently. You said that, I believe, this is after you lost to Donegal, obviously, I believe we're going to win more than one, to be honest. If we win, we'll keep going. I thought that was interesting at the time and I guess that confidence is borne out from where you are. Now, did you feel after that final defeat that as one of the leaders of the team, a guy who'd been there in 2004 and 2006, did you actually feel it was quite important to set a positive tone for the year ahead? Yeah, it's the way I always felt, to be honest. Um, it's the way I always say. I, I remember in 2004 being in New York and a guy asking me, oh, do you think you'll win the All-Ireland? And I said, I thought, I thought we'd win too. Do you know, I thought we'd win the under-21 and senior, but we, we, we ended up losing both finals. But uh, yeah, I, I suppose I've always felt that. And, and, and last year after the after the after the match, it was... Um, I suppose we we were in a positive place. I thought we played quite well for for sixty minutes that game, and I remember a real significant moment in that game when when Colin McFadden was through and it was a chance for their third goal, and our, our keeper and our leader on the day, David Clark, pulled off a great save. You know, and it, I I think I suppose our confidence grew from there, and we actually went on and played quite well in the final. Didn't get over the line, but I thought the boy showed great character that day, and. Um, I, the difference between not four and not six as well is, is that we were such a young team last year. You, you look down the centre of our team, Donny Vaughan is 23 years of age, Aiden is, Aiden is just a year younger than him. You know, so you, you have guys that are coming into their best form more so than being at the end of a cycle more so. So I suppose that's where my confidence came from, really. Uh, looking back at last year in the build-up to the All-Ireland final, is there anything you'd change this year uh, from what you did last year, say in this time now, in the three or four weeks between the semi-final and the final? Yeah, yeah, I'd have, uh, I've, I've two knees intact anyway, which is a start. But um, yeah, I, I, I there is, there's, I, there's so sm- like there's small things, and you're thinking, um, you're thinking, did they make that much of a difference? But the, the, these little small things add up. You know, it's um, the, the experience from last year's final. It's like if I said some of the things to you here, you'd be thinking, ah, listen, that's that, that that that's not a big thing. But when you add them all together, I suppose they they, they make a big difference. What kind um, of things, Andy? Can you reveal them to us? Um, I I, I suppose I, I I probably just they're they're, they're everything that would uh, go with a club team. Every every team in the country would have the same. We'd probably keep the main house, to be honest with you, because right. we're, it's probably what we're working at at the yeah, minute. Yeah. But it's um, it's it's just little small things, and it's experience. Like it's great to be back there a year after. I have the experience of making these mistakes, and some of them mightn't have been even mistakes. Some of them might have been good things, but just mightn't have worked for our team, you know. And um, like we're, we're the sort of team, we're a light-hearted team, to be honest with you. We like having a bit of crack. We've great characters in the team, the likes of Michael Conroy, Killian, Aidan O'Shea. These guys are the, the, the great Barry Moore, and the great characters, you know. So it's it's very important that we keep it lighthearted. I think that's the way we like our teams, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you've already referenced 04 and 06, and you're a veteran of those as a uh, substitute, and you came on in 06, and last year obviously uh, denied the chance to play by that injury. It must be great to be going into an All-Ireland final now, uh, and you know you have the chance to sort of right the, the, the misfortunes of the previous three All-Irelands that, you, that you've uh, featured in. Yeah, it's uh, like not 04, not 06, I think... Um not four. I probably just wasn't. Um, I probably wasn't ready to be honest. Um, it wasn't too bad. I, I I made my debut against New York that year and I scored a few points. But a, a certain Kieran McDonald came back, so I dropped for a fairly 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 decent player that year. So uh, never again my place in the team. Oh six. I felt maybe I should have. Uh, I should have probably give, been given a go in the final, but it just didn't happen for me. And then I, I suppose last year last year is the standout one, but it's. Um, I, I don't think you look back too much. If you look back too much, you put a bit too much pressure on yourself. So it's important now that we, we, we enjoy the four weeks and um, 
like for myself personally, it's it, it's just it, it's just going to be hard work for the next four weeks to to I suppose to top my performance levels more so than anything. You know, how are you finding that now? You came back, scoring return against Galway, Andy. Was a great moment for you and a great moment for the team. Yeah, great moment, on yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> we really enjoyed it in Galway. I can tell you, maybe not for the Galway man, yeah. but for, for everybody else, I think they probably enjoyed it. Uh, and since then, I know you've spoken about this that you're that you're fully fit and you have been fully fit for a while in terms of. The, the kind of aerobic and uh, whatever stuff you need to do, but that you there are tricks, there are things that you only really get with matches. You're, you've you've had a few now. You're heading into an All Ireland final. How are you feeling about your own form? Yeah, it's 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 I've I've had um, I suppose a test in two games. I suppose the Tyrone game they they put quite a few men behind the ball, so it's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to win primary possession in the full forward line. You know, I wouldn't be I I wouldn't be saying I, I'm particularly happy with my performance, but. When you play in the full forward line, it's like eighty-five percent of your performance can be good, but it's the ten percent that really that really makes you stand apart, you know. And it's uh, you, you, it's the only position in the field really that you have your back to goal for the whole amount of the game. So to, to really, really be at the top of the game, um, you, you need everything going for you. And like I, I'd, I'd fully admit that I'm not I'm not fully there yet, but I I, I think in, in parts of my game I'm doing a lot of things well and. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's an exciting place to be for myself, considering uh, considering where I came from. So, yeah, I'd be very proud of from, from where I came from. Um, Murph hasn't rang me since that call again. To be honest, it's the first call, so it's taken <laughs> sorry, him a couple sorry, of months. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I apologise. <laughs> but uh, no, it's uh, it, it's been, it's been an exciting road for me, and um, but as you see on Sunday, there's we have a fair few subs playing quite well. So it's uh, I, I'll I'll have a test in my hands over the next four weeks to to make sure I'm I'm in the starting fifteen. Killian O'Connor, another man who. I guess we don't know at the moment if he's going to be in the starting 15. It was a sad moment for him to have to come off injured. Are you getting ready for a few weeks of people, everybody asking you whether he'll be fit or not? Yeah, I think, I, I, I suppose we'll, we'll, there'll, there'll be a statement soon enough about it. I, I really don't know the um, the full full in, ins and outs of it. I'm, I'm sure he's in the test today and, and yesterday, you know, but it's... Uh, I'd expect Killian to to play some part, if not all, the the All Ireland final. To be honest with you, but we just have to wait and see. It's um, he's he's, but people don't realise. I suppose they probably do realise what is what is composure on freeze. But he's very strong mentally, Killian, and um, I I like the shoulder is is a, is a high profile injury. I think he's done it. He's done it a few times now. But it, like it's um, I I'm sure he'll rehab it and he'll try his best to be to be ready. That's good to hear anyway, Andy. Just lastly, um, t- second semi-final coming up next Sunday. What do you do? Do you watch that at home? Do you head to Croker and have a look at the two teams? Yeah, I, 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 like, I'd like. i be the sort of fella that'd like to head to Croker. Um, but like, it all depends on our training. Um, all depends on our training and, and where we're... Uh, where 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 we're going to be next week? I I don't have the full schedule yet. I know we're training Wednesday, so it's um, no, it's uh, the two teams. I, I think like they, they speak for themselves. I think it's very similar to to last week's game. It's um, Dublin have kind of set the stall out this year. They went and won the league. Uh, really really good team. And Kerry, like along with Tyrone, are the the two the two standouts. Um, Performers over the last ten, twenty years, like so, it's uh, it's it's going to be an amazing game. To be honest, Joe, like it's um, like injuries are going to play a big part of it. If uh, if Kerry are down a few, like it's down and it's going to be hard for them. But like you'd be a fool to write off Kerry at the same time, you know. Absolutely. Well, listen, Andy, I think Murph has finally forgiven you, and in the meantime, I've never hold it against you, Andy. Don't en- worry. Enjoy the next few weeks. Take care. <laughs> Thanks very much, lads. Take care. Yeah, good to hear Andy Moore in such good form there, Murph, and almost revealing some trade secrets, yeah. but I let him off the hook a little bit lighter. It does seem that what he, what he did say was that, or certainly hinted at, that maybe things got a bit too serious and they were maybe a bit too wound up last year, whereas some teams are better off just keeping it lighthearted wherever possible. Yeah, yeah, well, he hinted at it, you know, and I think that um, it is, you know, I, I think people can, you can either go one of two ways, and what 
when you win the All-Ireland, everything you did in the build-up to it was right. And when you lose an All-Ireland final, probably you look back and say, right, well, these are all, we, all of these things that we tried, they probably didn't work. You know? So I'm sure it, there's elements of it that they're going to have to keep. But certainly I think that in a county like Mayo, where it is obviously pretty serious now, and we were discussing before just how serious the fans get and how uh, pessimistic so many of them are, that it can, it can have a wearing impact on the people who are actually directly involved, I'd say. And you can just say, right, this, God, this is the most important thing in the world. And, you know, nothing can ever be as important as this. Where you, I think a little bit of perspective, particularly in a county that, where perspective is nearly a dirty word when it comes to football, I think, you know, a little bit of that probably isn't any harm either. Anthony Moyles, yeah, Anthony Moyles and Ocean McConville are with us in the studio. Lads, what about Andy Moran's comments there? Is that a good sign, do you think, Ocean, that maybe they'll look at a couple of things that happened last year and tweak one or two of them in the build-up to this year's final? Yeah, I think the important thing that I heard there was that, you know, as he said, you know, they're a team that goes about it in their own way. It's, sort of, it's a light-hearted sort of thing. And maybe they had a, a couple of behind closed doors training sessions, which immediately players sort of, you know, go into their shell a little bit and go, oh my God, this is so much different than what we've done before. The biggest thing for me coming up to All-Ireland Finals was the actual day of the All-Ireland Final. It's <clears throat> it seems like a very long day. You're up very early. Uh, they'll probably stay up. I don't know where to stay up. But we used to stay in the city west, and it's a long morning floating about. When you actually get into the ground, you know it's usually one half one. You still have two hours to go. You're out on the field earlier than you ever have been before. So I think, in particular, uh, I know he's talking probably about the build up in general over the next couple of weeks, but also that day of the actual final when you're out at five to three so you still have 35 minutes to kill you do your normal warm-up get the warm-up over and all of a sudden you have to stand in the lane meet the president or whatever it is then you have to you, then it's the the parade around the field then you stand for the national anthem you've got your warm-up done maybe 15 20 minutes at this stage so it is different to every other day but uh, you just gotta if you are that sort of character it's your late you know you, you like to be uh, loose light hearted whatever way you want to put about, put about not put too much pressure on yourself then you better sort of try and continue with that but it, it becomes very very difficult in those situations I think the fact that they were there last year is going to help them hugely and the fact that they'll probably be so focused now on the actual game rather than the the hype and, and and the occasion and all that sort of thing. I think they'll be focused on what they have to do, right? I think Sunday was a perfect game for them because so many things went wrong for them, yet they still won the game by six points. So the confidence will be huge within that camp, knowing that they played well within themselves and still won the game comfortably. Yeah, and Andy Moran was happy to say that because that's what people have been saying, that it's a good way to go into an All-Ireland final and he agreed with that. There was They still have residual confidence from last year how they approached the last 60 minutes but just on the idea of the approach to the game itself Anthony they must have got something slightly wrong last year somewhere along the way to start or, or is it just that it just happened that they they conceded a couple of goals early on is that something down to preparation or some little chink yeah probably some of the matchups they got slightly wrong I think last year um, but I think you know 
I think if they focus too much on last year or even what they learned or what they didn't learn from last year, I think it's going to be a mistake for them. You know, um, I think, that, as Oshin says, the big one that they need to learn from is actually just what happened on Sunday. Um, and they actually, you could see it during the first half that they were actually learning from this. Um, and, you know, I, I talked about it last week that unsung heroes very often, and you'll find it in, in All-Ireland Finals, that fellas just come to the fore. The fellas who you expect, the Aidan O'Shea's, you know, the, maybe the Killian O'Connors or whoever it is, certain things happen. You know, Andy Moran didn't have his best game. Dylan didn't have his best game. If you go through the Mayo forward line, they didn't click at all. Um, but then all of a sudden, Freeman steps up to the plate. And you could see his first free in the middle of that first half. He kept his head down right as the ball was going over the bar. He kind of hit it tentatively enough. It went over. And all of a sudden, you could see Mayo just kind of settling down. And it's very often Barrett coming up and kicking two scores in the first half was unbelievable. Like that's that's the leadership that you look around for, and that's maybe the leadership that Mayo haven't had in the past. Like people are kind of saying, "Ah, oh, well, Mayo would have would have won the game." Fifteen twenty minutes in, I was saying to myself, Mayo are in absolutely unbelievable trouble here, where the dam could have burst and they could have all just went within themselves. Um, last year, All Ireland final, they were seven eight points down. Like, I mean, you either, if you go into yourself at that stage, you're going to get bet by 25 points. And really, there's there's nearly a release of pressure off you because you're saying, well, we're so far down now, we may as well play. Um, and that's what happened, yeah. I think, last year. Whereas this time, the expectation definitely got to them. Um, you know, the, the, the favourites tag definitely got to them. And no matter how much they spoke about Tyrone, I'm sure they went in. And then those old failings, as Murph says, about the pessimism. I can imagine half time the Mayo fans were just saying to themselves, or maybe 20, 25 minutes into it, just going, not again. I got, I got a text message. Uh, 20 minutes. I met a couple of people from Mayo before the game. I got a text message after 24 minutes. I went back and checked actually what time the text message was. <laughs> just three words not our day. <laughs> and I was, I was just thinking, like, you're, you're, you're three points down. You have a load of great footballers on the field. This is just football. You know, you, like, you go behind in games, you end up winning. You know, but it's, yeah. it's see, that's the thing with Mayo. It's, it's, the, it's I think the, I, it, it, when you're actually, at, yeah, when you're at these uh, Mayo games, it's actually you get even more respect for what James Horan has done to change the mindset of the players. Because you see the fans have this mindset in their heads that, you know, until we win one, we're never going to win one, you know? And, like, <laughs> that sounds stupid, but that's the way they feel, that, you know, it's just uh, this, the, the holy grail, all the rest of it. Instead of just saying, right, it's an Ireland semi-final, it's there to be won, there's going to be one more game now, we're going to try and win that. And that's it, you know. And it's yeah. nearly like it's taken on nearly religious connotations. Yeah. And the, for the players to be able to divorce themselves from that, you actually just have to have loads and loads of respect for them. Yeah, and it's extremely comf- or extremely difficult to divorce yourself from that because what happens is it's, it's a self fulfilling prophecy. You start a game tentative. You just you don't come onto the ball as much as you do. There's a breaking ball there. Yeah, you're going for it, but you're not going for it half as much as the Tyrone man is going for it, who really is going. I'm on. A, I'm, this is this is just a shot for me, and he's just and everyone was just going for it against Tyrone, where you could see the Mayo lads were holding back. Yeah, they were working, but they weren't working like they were before previous games. They weren't ravenous like they were in previous games, and all of a sudden everyone just starts to kind of come within themselves. They give a hand pass, but they don't go again. They don't take the chance of coming off the shoulder on a 50-yard burst, which you saw for the penalty, like Boyle came running from nearly way back in his own corner back line. So all of those things just start adding up. Aidan O'Shea, was he injured, was he not injured? But he certainly looked like a man who was injured in the first half. Um, and all of a sudden you're looking at yourself. And I th- I, to be honest with you, if they'd been playing anyone else, i.e. Kerry or Dublin, 
they would have been. I think they would have been better. But then is this the test that everyone talked about that they needed? Therefore, they won't allow themselves to make those same mistakes in the final against Dublin or Kerry. Yeah, I was watching uh, James Horne while this was going on, and he, he was a oh, he was a very frustrated looking figure. And I can imagine that he probably said to the boys going out on the field, "Let's impose our game on on them, like we did in the in the quarter final against Donegal. They were the aggressors. They were going forward right from the from the first whistle. From the very first whistle, they looked tentative. They looked nervous." Um, but I still think that there's huge learning in, in, in what went on on Sunday. I think they now know that when they impose their game, when they go at teams, that other teams can't live with their pace and, 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 and what they bring to the table, the pace and power. I mean, the second half performance was a, was a pretty good performance. I know there was lots of things that went wrong, even simple things like you know the couple of free kicks and different things they missed. They're the failings that we've seen before. But it didn't cost them on this occasion. Uh, I reckon that Killian O'Connor is so important to this team. Even if he, you know, if he sort of carried for the final and he, he's only kicking free kicks, that's so important. Alan Freeman was brilliant. He stepped up to the mark big time. I was absolutely delighted for him because he has all the ability. He's just, he just hasn't shown it on the big stage. He probably hasn't given enough of an opportunity either. Can you carry a guy in an All-Ireland final though? Um, can you carry again and all there in the final? I think Mayo have good enough players, you know, to have Killian O'Connor. Look, at, if Killian O'Connor plays, he'll go. He'll absolutely he'll go for every everything, and he'll he'll put himself out there. And the thing about Killian O'Connor is, he, I think he will definitely start the All Ireland final. And I think it's up, you know, to the to the lap of the gods and how long he lasts. An injury like that is something that could, you can last uh, five minutes, or you can la- you could easily last the seventy minutes. Anthony, that. you're not as certain that he's going to. I, I don't think he will. If you look at the challenge, you know, it was a kick out towards Gormley. It was a fairly innocuous. He just put his hand up. Gormley may have just kind of slightly pulled it back, but his shoulder obviously popped. Now, I don't know the extent of the injury, but you'd feel if this is a thing that he's had recurring over the last number of years, um, he's going to be aware of it. Yeah, you can strap it up. You can put probably a, like a kind of a rugby kind of shoulder pad stuff on it. But. I don't know. I'm wary enough. Henry Shefflin went into an All-Ireland a couple of years ago being carried with his knee. Bang, it went. It's just the impact that it would have on on, on the actual team. Mm. Like Freeman now looks like a lad who's very confident. Yeah. Would I not just say, you know what, you are our man now. You're our free taker. You know, even take the ones that are slightly out on the on the right-hand side. Like he should have kicked some of those that McLaughlin kicked, you know. Um, you are our man you know, yes, in the background you could be saying to O'Connor, look, you know, you gotta get right. But at the same time I wouldn't be putting my I don't know if I'd be chancing it. Well, yeah. uh, it's not that I necessarily think it's the right thing to do, but I think James Horne will definitely start killing O'Connor in an all Ireland final. I don't I don't think he'll he he would even Is there a duty of care to the player there? I, I often thought that was a strange one with Shefflin that there seemed to be I don't know, just an assumption just because it was Henry Shefflin somehow he was gonna be able to miraculously recover from this injury that takes a long time to recover from and again we're not 100% sure yet the, the medical ins and outs of this injury but if he's not right to play it doesn't seem like a manager should play a guy yeah but he's going to want to play he's going to tell the manager he's fit to play um, he will be fit to play in that coming up to the All-Ireland final everything will be fine I don't know if they'll play him in a contact game before that and if if, he, if they do play him in a contact game and it happens to go out or whatever again then he doesn't play but uh, I think they'll give him absolutely every chance to, yeah. in order it, to it certainly seems Andy Moore and 
seems to think that he will play a part and possibly play the whole game. Remember the Galway hurling goalkeeper a couple of years ago? James Skell, yeah, yeah, last year. But just before, it was last year, of course. Yeah, just, Sorry, before yeah. The, just before the replay. Hmm. And uh, the news came through on the Friday evening that uh, his shoulder had gone out in training and they were like, they refused to rule him out. And so you're thinking, right, okay, well, what is the injury exactly? And again, in situations like this, you don't know the injury. We're, we're not doctors, so we don't know. So we, he's not ruled out. Then on the Sunday... All eyes are on him in the warm-up, and I was watching with you, Owen. Uh, the guy obviously was inhibited, you know, that he wasn't yeah. He wasn't right. He wasn't even close to being right. And you're looking at it going, am I seeing this? Is this actually Yeah, and in a situation like that, he'll obviously tell, and he said afterwards, he had some interesting quotes afterwards, he told the managers, look, I'm fine, I'm, I'm good to play, but it's up to them to say, you're not, actually, we can see. Yeah, you. well, I think, look, as Ushin says, a player would want to play. He'll yeah. go in and he'll say... Let me play. You know, I played in an All Ireland semi final with you know an, an injection in the back of my leg. It could have driven a car over my leg. I wouldn't have felt it, right? I, I felt it later on, <laughs> mind you. But you know, so you will. You'll do whatever you can to get on the field. Um, and I think you're right. Yes, a manager, like you see it sometimes, even in rugby, if a guy is, is struggling mm. and he puts another guy in who actually then plays amazingly. You know, like you, you'd have to think Conroy is coming, is, is looking, is coming good. Um, as I say, Freeman now has the confidence. Have Mayo enough that they could bring O'Connor on? But I agree with you. What what you do is you put them in a, in a challenge match or a fairly hefty, tight game between yourselves on, say, the Tuesday previous or the Saturday previous, and it's full contact. And if he comes through that, well, then well and good. Does this become a distraction over the next few weeks for the players? They're going to be asked constantly about Killian O'Connor's fitness, or maybe is that a good thing that there's something for the f- supporters to focus on when they're chatting to the players? I don't think I don't think it, it'll take any of the focus away from what James Horn is, is going to do. I suppose, you know, it's up, that's up to Killian O'Connor, it's up to the medical team. Yeah, it's something that supporters are going to be chatting about and supporters will want him playing because uh, he's very assured, you know, standing over a free kick, you know, for all of uh, Freeman's brilliance at the weekend, I'd still rather Killian O'Connor uh, standing over the free kicks for me. He kicks them from both sides as well. Um, somebody said at the weekend, I think it was uh, Martin McHugh or something, that he that he has that Killian O'Connor has said that he'd be taking free kicks with his left foot from the right hand side next year. That uh, he reckons. Yeah, he's practicing it. Yeah, it was he, in the the Indo, I think, on on Saturday. Christy right. O'Connor had a piece where, yeah, he's basically on the. He's not up to intercounty standard yet, but he's practicing with his left foot off the ground. You know, which is he's ninety percent there. So you Ron, know, Ronnie O'Sullivan kind of style. style. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Anthony Boyle's level is Morris kind of <laughs> Morris Fisher. Nobody's only guy who's done that since Morris Fisher. Yeah, I don't think so either. But um, you know, that's how important he is. But it's not going to be a real distraction. I mean, may have so many other things to work on. You know, yeah. going into the All Ireland final, that you know, it's 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 almost perfect for them. Oh, almost perfect. I'm, and I'm afraid to say that because I love to see them go ahead and, and win the All Ireland now. But uh, it's just it's falling into place, lovely. Well, how will it fully fall into place? Who do they want to win? Do you think next Sunday? If you're Mayo, you're support. You Mayo want to play Dublin, surely, don't they? <sighs> They probably do, but um, just tradition, and maybe yeah. just too much in tradition. But you know, there's always this thing about Kerry, I guess, and all yeah, and it'll be the challenge that Mayo will want. You know, they'll put Dublin up there, and I think it'd be one of those where they drive on, and, and and as we were saying in the previous games, like where they'll try to impose themselves. But looking at it, um, you know, if you actually dissect the game from last week, Caffrey had a really torrid time at full back. Tyrone really only played one forward up front. They brought the other guy back as a kind of a, a, a sweeper role, and then the corner forward, the the small lad had a, had a dec- yeah, he had a decent enough game yeah. when he was in there. Then he had to actually kind of drift out around. So the fullback line for me for Mayo 
are the dodgiest line that they have. Not going forward, Barrett and Kniff are excellent at charging forward, a brilliant pace coming out. Um, but Cavergy at full back, I think, is had a had a re- un- unlimited supply into that full forward. He, he you know he gave him a torrid time. Any ball that actually the full forward didn't get, it Cavergy got it. It kind of just bounced off him. It wasn't anything that Cavergy was out mm. in front. Now you put that full forward line of Dublin in there, or even the full forward line of Kerry in against them, and you isolate them. That's that could be a major problem. So like for me, for James Horn, if I'm sitting there, I'm going. I'm more worried about there than I am worried about. But you would still prefer to play against Dublin if you were James Horn. <sighs> well, no, I'd like. I'd prefer to play against Kerry because I think the Dublin full forward line right. is lethal. Oshin, yeah, I think you know. If I was James Horn, I'd, I'd I'd like to see Dublin win the game because of the simple reason that uh, I think it's easier for them to get up for that game. I think. Um, they will have every confidence in, in beating uh, in beating Dublin. I think uh, I don't think Kerry is as good a team as Dublin, uh, but I think that in a strange way it'll suit Mayo if they play Dublin because it'll be that final piece of the jigsaw. I think as they would look at it, that you know to beat the Dubs in Crow Park and an All Ireland final would be, you know. Um, I'll tell you, if they beat Kerry in an Ireland final, yeah. and <laughs> explode good. the myth altogether, yeah. you know, yeah. just really blow it out of the water. But I, I think this. I think the two best teams in the country at the minute are, are Dublin and Mayo. I yeah. think it would be fitting if it's in an All Ireland final because the, the two teams would just go out and have a go at each other and, yeah. and may the best team win. I kind of what I thought watching the last fifteen minutes, particularly of Mayo, I just so I was so impressed by their conditioning, so impressed by the fact that they kept the pace yeah. of the game up for the entire seventy minutes. I was just thinking, God, if these guys are playing Dublin, it could just be an unbelievable spectacle of we're just a game played at a faster pace than maybe we've ever seen before. Yeah. That the, mm. the the pace that, that Dublin have, Mayo actually are nearly as quick as them. When you, if you look at Colin Boyle, Keith Higgins, uh, Kniff, uh, Keegan Barrett, all of these guys are just yeah. they have so much yeah. pace. That you're just thinking that if uh, uh, if if you want an Iron final that would showcase sort of modern day football at its very best yeah. you would kind of think that Mayo and Dublin would be that final absolutely and I think the winning of, of it and we're not dismissing Kerry here by any mm. matter of means but the winning of it would be in the, the both teams full back line and full forward line you know and now with O'Connor gone let's see what happens but that kind of gives if it's Dublin does come through that kind of gives a little bit of advantage to Dublin because I don't think Dublin's full back line are any great shakes either so you've got a situation and it's probably not helped by the fact that they don't get much cover from their half backs like Mayo don't get much cover from them because they're flying up the field and Dublin don't get the same but they're very very similar half backs like you think of McCaffrey you know for Dublin uh, Barrett for Mayo it's, uh, it'll be intriguing Yeah, nine unbelievable athletes in the middle of the field and then the game's going to be decided by the, the, th- the, the three lads inside I must yeah. congratulate Anthony on being very modest by the way about his six point prediction at the yeah. weekend got it bang on I know it's, six. it's well, pretty impressive half oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's your formula take Ushin's prediction half <laughs> half of this week yeah. <laughs> yeah. let's talk a bit more about this week then Ushin are you thinking it's going to be Dublin um I'm going to completely contradict myself again here, but uh, I went for Kerry at the start of the year. And yeah. I think I told you before, yeah. I was down in Kerry, and the, the vibes coming out of there were good, and they were training harder than they've ever trained before, and I thought, you know, that, that was the writing was in the wall, because they still have the quality. Um, I think Killian Young missing is a, is a massive thing. I think w- the more I've watched football this year, the more it is just how, how uh, important the bench has been 
for even for the likes of Dublin and Mayo and top teams. Uh, Throne didn't have that at the weekend and ultimately cost them in the end. Uh, so Kerry are, are quite weak on the bench. They don't have a lot. Brian Sheehan uh, won't feature this weekend either, which is a, another massive blow for them. Uh, Mahar, I'm not sure how, how close he is. So um, I just feel as if I go back to 2009 again when uh, Kerry come up with absolutely no chance on a bank holiday Monday and absolutely destroyed Dublin by 17 points. Is this a better Dublin team? Than yeah, that I think though? it's a better Dublin team and it's not as good a Kerry team but uh, I think there's some sort of ambush going to happen and it depends how Dublin cope with that in the first uh, 20 minutes. If they can ride that storm then then they do have the quality and I'm going to go back to the to the point we've made over the last couple of weeks, mm. and it still hasn't been sorted out. And the more I think about it, uh, the harder it is to sort out. Is that last final pass? Is taking that right option in the in the in the last third of the field? It's something that Dublin haven't uh, sorted out yet, and it, it is a real problem for them. And actually, the more I think about it. Uh, the fact that it hasn't been sorted out and we're at all there in semi-final stage and everybody's saying there's a big game Bernard Brogan and I firmly believe that he is the top forward in the country but it hasn't happened for him yet. And is that is he making the wrong decision or is it the last pass going into him that's... He's making the, he's wrong, making decision the wrong decision and the last right, pass yeah. is, is, a, is a problem. Um, I think he's playing with very little confidence at this stage. Uh, is there a big game in them? In him, of course there is. He's got, he's got, he's got absolutely everything. You know, the modern day Gaelic footballer. He's got pace, he's got strength, and he's got two good feet. Uh, but as I say, it hasn't happened for him yet. And the fact that it hasn't, and the fact that they haven't ironed out that one, in my book, simple problem. It's actually frustrating even when I think about it. <laughs> uh, well, that one simple problem that the the person in the right position is not getting that final ball, then, uh, then. Uh, it, that would worry me from a, from a Dublin point of view. I, I'm going to stick with what I said at the start of the year. I'm going to stick with Kerry just right. to get over it and see if Anthony Miles can half this. I'm going to go for Kerry by a point. <laughs> <laughs> if Hawkeye's in operation, I might have a chance. I agree with Ushin in the sense of you can see when a player, uh, especially a forward line, start to take wrong options. You saw it in with Mayo for the first 20 minutes. Like, I mean, lads taking shots from out in the sideline, dropping short. Yeah, it's a virus, isn't it? Absolute virus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what happens is a fella gets a ball and thinks, okay, I have to do it now. You know, I'm the man to do this. Well, I was in the great position the last time he didn't pass, so I'm going to take my my shot now. And, and okay, Mayo got their hands on it and then said, like, no, hold on, lads, let's make sure the scores, let's work them in a bit more. And they did do that. Um, And they got a couple of miraculous scores from Barrett again. But... I think Dublin will iron that out. Um, they'll want this, you know, carry all Ireland semi-final. They'll they'll be very aware, of course, of what happened in in '09. I think they'll keep it tight, relatively tight for the first fifteen twenty minutes, and they say to themselves, "We have enough power, and we have enough pace, and we have all the condition in the world yeah. that when it comes to ten minutes to go, even if we're two points down, we'll beat Kerry. But make sure we're not nine points down." You know, and that'll be a key to it. So I think they'll actually protect a little bit more their full back line. Maybe drop McCauley and they could play someone like Bastic or something like this. Uh, you might find Keno Sullivan is in around that kind of area as well, doing a lot of donkey work around the full back line. Um, and I think they'll, I think they'll have enough for Kerry. Anthony, you said uh, when Meath played Dublin and the bit of success was that with a huge amount of pressure on Cluxton's kickouts. I think Kerry have to do that. But they also have to get players back into their own defence. They have to get Galvin back in there. They got players back against Cavan and nobody put in the tackle. 
I mean, you watch that game back, you know, nobody put in a tackle. They were getting players back and they were get you know, they were they were playing that uh swarm defence or whatever way you want to blanket defence or whatever way you want to call it, but whenever you're playing that defence you have to be able to make a tackle. Mm. And it was just uh the problem is when you get so many players back is that okay, we're back, you know, there's no room to operate, but nobody puts in a tackle and people just yeah. run through the middle. And we're talking about Cavan, who, you know, are still in development stages, who are still very young, who are not physically, you know, as strong as the Dublin boys, who haven't got the pace of the Dublin boys. Do you think there might be something in the Kerry psyche that they they still believe we're Kerry footballers, we shouldn't be, we're above all this swarm defence thing. So when they get back there, they don't do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I thought you were going to say, you know, they're just going to go at it on Sunday. I would absolutely love to see that. I yeah. would love to see Kerry just come up and just have a real go. And maybe they're ult- ultimately to their downfall. But uh, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of, you know, what we talked about before. Whenever you're like a Donegal, you know, you put so much work into playing one way. You know, it's very difficult for Kerry, after playing a nice open game against Cork, you know, to come up uh, in All-Ireland quarterfinal and now suddenly change your game completely and try and play that without having played, you know, any sort of football, you know, playing that way. And and because of that, it takes a while to sort of master that. I mean, one game is probably not enough, but mm-hmm. I, do, I think they're going to change it a little bit. I think, they're, you know, they're going to bring Galvin back and maybe play him just uniquely as a sweeper, I'm going to have him pushing up and, and trying to get back as well. I don't think he has legs anymore to get you know to get to get right up the field and support yeah. the attack. I still can't see Kerry players you know congratulating themselves for dispossessing a yeah. lad. You know, that'd <laughs> be kind of like you know, well done for dispossessing him on your own forty. But they can see them you know kind of clapping a lad in the back if he does a dummy solo and kicks <clears> it over from forty yards. That's what Kerry are about. So to do that game, I think it's unnatural for Kerry. And the big question here is: Has Fitzmaurice got the cojones to kind of say, "Okay, I'm actually am going to play a defensive game because if you know that would probably be the safer bet for him." Um, but will he stick to the traditions and say, "You know what, we're going to go at it," and they get bet by ten or twelve points? That's a big call in his in his first year, you know. So yeah. I think he may, as Ashin says, I think he might mix it up. I think the better option for him would just be go at Dublin. I think they need he needs to put Dublin on the back foot and make them question themselves. It's almost like uh, Barcelona buying Lambert and uh, playing the, the long direct ball straight <laughs> on top of his head, and, yeah. <laughs> hoping for the knockdown. Lads, we'll see what happens. Brilliant stuff, Anthony Moyles, Ashin McConnell. Thanks for coming. That's the question that's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just. The bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Second Captains Football. Available on irishtimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6 pm tonight. 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 Great stuff, Anthony Moyles and Oshin McConville. Do you buy into that, Murph? That the, I, I was the one who really brought it up. First of all, that a Kerry footballer mightn't be as comfortable as a Tyrone footballer, perhaps in yeah. swarming back and defending. So therefore, they get back there and they think, well, I've done my bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm here to pick up a break. <laughs> if, you know, if, something, if something falls my way, I'm in a, I'm in a pretty good position. No, I mean, I, I think this... Uh, in fairness, you talk about the retreating, retreating wing wing forwards... And the name that kind of pops to mind, if it's not Brian Dewar, it's probably Paul Galvin. Yeah. Uh, that role is, you know, it's nearly the Brian Dewar or Paul Galvin role. So I think that there are plenty of them are in a, are, are happy enough to, to do that. I mean, I, I still think that Kerry have probably four of the best marquee Even forwards. Galvin, though, you, Galvin drops back 
and largely he drops back to win those breaks as he should do because he needs to then, he's one of the playmakers on the team, mm. so he needs to be in a position to actually play ball. Galvin's funny, he's, he, meant, he's, he has said in the past that he sometimes has spent too much time going in for those big hits against yeah. bigger men, and he feel, he kind of felt like that, that these guys are big, and I have to go all in when sometimes, I don't want to misquote him here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he said sometimes uh, over the years he felt that he got better at learning to read the breaks when the ball is going to be in an area that he can then attack and start playing a little bit more, as opposed to wasting too much energy trying to yeah, you know, knock Nicholas Walsh down or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think it has evolved. I mean, you know, Galvin would have come on the scene at a time when Kerry felt they needed someone like that. Uh, and he filled a very specific role for that. I mean, I think it has evolved quite a bit now. And Kerry still played pretty well. I mean, if you watch the Kerry Court game this year, I mean, there, as the lads were saying there, there wasn't a whole lot of kind of the blanket defence, swarm defence that we've kind of gotten used to. To, to watching so I mean I, I don't think it's, it's going to be a major factor certainly not to the extent that Tyrone would have played it against Mayo last week coming up at 6 o'clock tonight that's yeah they have asked for that really well you can laugh I'm, the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me What's happening on second captain's football today? Ken? It's the greatest league in the world, Owen. And we all saw why last night. Now, what a tactical battle it was. The Premier League has really matured. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really matured. You know, there was a very mature game of football that was played last it night. It was. I mean, remember that silly game. Man United 5, West Brom. West Brom 5, Man United 5. Rubbish. Rubbish. You know, you could tell no they were losing the run of themselves a little bit. And it's, uh, you know, last night, Ch- uh, Chelsea, Manchester United, Chelsea, no strikers whatsoever. Um, you know, why, and why shouldn't Jose Mourinho do that? Why shouldn't he bore the entire world uh, into submission and then criticise his team afterwards for not defending well enough? That was actually what he picked out. Uh, our defending wasn't good enough. And also his, the counter-attacking wasn't good enough, you know, making it obvious that, in fact, there was never any plan to attack. Um, he's able to get away with that because of uh, who he is, I guess. I'm not sure that Rafael Benitez would have been quite as lucky. No, I heard a few people making that point. I do feel that... It was funny, Gary Neville, at halftime and after the game, said... A lot of the we've been tr- we've been quite spoiled. A lot of the big games between the top clubs in the last couple of seasons have been amazing. Loads of goals, loads of excitement. But that game tonight is more like how I remember the big games to be. Every inch really hard gained, uh, every chance a big chance because you know you're not going to get too many of them, which is probably fair enough. But he also mentioned that the two teams probably show a lot of respect to each other. But I think I prefer when a team doesn't show too much respect to the opposition, just goes out and tears them up. Mm. And. I was a bit surprised, really, by, by Chelsea. I mean, and I, I wondered if Chelsea Mourinho had some ulterior motives, because I think he often does. And clearly there was this Rooney, whole Rooney thing coming into and coming out of the game. Um, and obviously he doesn't pick any of his strikers. And then when he puts Torres on, the performance was pathetic. So maybe the point that he's making there is, I need somebody. If it's not going to be him, if it's not going to be Rooney, it still needs to be somebody, because these guys that I've got are not good enough. So I don't the point have to... that he wants to make is more important than trying to pick up a victory in three points early in the season? Yeah, because I think he would have been confident of getting a draw anyway. 
you know. And the point he's making is the point to his owner to say, yeah. we need these, we need these players. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, mean, I, think, I think there is actually, there probably could, there could well be quite a bit to that. A draw for him is a good result because, you know, he know he, he thinks he can beat Manchester United at home. Mm. Four points against them is is a, is is good over season. They would take that every season. So, uh, you know, I think he he was definitely. I mean, they were talking about Moyes being happy, and Moyes certainly appeared to be happy. And at one point, he beamed so much. Uh, he I think at the time he was pretending to have made a bid for Gareth Bale. Uh, in the in his interview with Sky, he refused to deny or confirm that Manchester United had made a bid for Gareth Bale. But in fact. No such bid had taken place. Which I think he then confirmed in he confirmed the a few minutes, press afterwards. He confirmed a few minutes later. So it was very strange. Uh, but I suppose, you know, he's he's getting getting the hang of this uh, media manipulation stuff. That's coming up a little bit later on today. Now, September 1973, 50 million Americans tuned in to watch an exhibition tennis match, which sounds bizarre when you think about it, but it was dubbed the Battle of the Sexes, pitted then Wimbledon champion Billie Jean King against Bobby Riggs, former top player, 55 years of age, as I was saying earlier at that point. Billie Jean King won comfortably, but a new ESPN story has fresh details on long-held suspicions that Riggs threw that match. Don Van Natta Jr. wrote the piece and joins us now. Don... An exhibition match, but a very important social event in its time. Yes, and that's right. It occurred in uh, September 1973, 40 years ago this coming month. And at the time, the women's liberation movement in the United States was going full force. Uh, 1973 was the year that the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade. It was one year after Title IX was passed. And Billie Jean King was a crusader for women to be viewed on an equal plane with men. She co-founded the Women's Tennis Association, the Professional Women's Tennis Tour, uh, earlier that year. And so the the match took on all sorts of larger social significance far beyond tennis for millions of Americans. Now, the match was won relatively comfortably by Billie Jean King. This mightn't seem too shocking in that Bobby Riggs was a man in his mid-50s at the time, but he had demolished uh, player Margaret Court, who was at least on a par with Billie Jean King just a few months earlier. That's right, and that's sort of lost that. It's almost become a footnote to sports history, just how Bobby Riggs annihilated Margaret Court only four months before the match with Billie Jean King. He beat her... 6261 and Margaret Court was a phenomenal tennis player ranked number 1 in the world she had won 18 of the previous 25 tournaments before losing so handily to Bobby Riggs and you know Bobby Riggs was no slouch he was a guy who was 55 but he was a Wimbledon champion in 1939 he was dominating the senior uh tour in the early 70s and uh, he was himself a phenomenal player and so it was really striking how uh, easily Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs just four months after Bobby Riggs so dominated Margaret Court. There have been suggestions, Don, over the years that have never really gone away that Bobby Riggs, at best, wasn't trying his hardest against Billie Jean King and at worst, maybe was deliberately throwing the match. You've done a lot of work on this in your piece. What evidence, what new evidence have you uncovered? Well, the most important piece of evidence is uh, the ear witness testimony of a man named Hal Shaw, who uh, is now 79 years old. But 40 years ago, he was 39. 
He's a, an assistant golf pro at a club in Tampa, Florida called Pomacia. And he was working late one night, about nine months before the King Riggs match, fixing clubs in the bag room of the pro shop at that club. And he hears voices outside coming toward the pro shop. And it turns out uh, several men come into the pro shop and have a meeting. He recognizes two of them as uh, infamous mob leaders, Santo Traficante Jr. of the Florida mob and Carlos Marcello uh, of New Orleans, a mobster, and Frank Regano, an attorney uh, who was a member of Pomacia. And they sit down, and Shaw is hiding in this bag room as they're just 20 feet away on the other side of a closed door. And he hears them discussing openly a proposal brought to them by Bobby Riggs to play two matches in 1973, the first against Margaret Court that Riggs assured them he would win, and then a second match that he would set up with Billie Jean King, which he told the mobsters he would throw uh, in exchange for erasing a $100,000 gambling debt that Bobby Riggs owed the mob, as well as putting some money for Riggs into a bank account in England. Now, all of this is how Shaw's recollection that he told to us uh, uh, in this interview that we did on Outside the Lines on ESPN and for the piece that I wrote. Would this um, connection with the mob be plausible based on other events in Riggs's life? Yes, well, that's what was so interesting in the reporting that I did, is it turns out that Bobby Riggs had uh, acquaintances and friends in the mob all over the country going back 20 years, going back to the 1950s in South Florida. He played golf with mobsters, played cards with them. Uh, he was a golfing buddy of a man named Jackie Cerrone, who was a mafia hitman in the Chicago mob. Jackie Cerrone is important because Bobby Riggs' own son, Larry, says that he met Jackie Cerrone caddying for his father when they were playing golf for money in Chicago. And then just in the weeks leading up to the King match, Larry Riggs says he noticed there were associates of Jackie Cerrone from Chicago coming out to L.A., to meet with his father, to meet with Bobby Riggs privately. And Larry Riggs, the son of Bobby Riggs, says he asked his father, you know, who these men were and what they were doing. And uh, his father said, you know, don't worry about that. We have some business that we're taking care of. It's none of your business. And Larry Riggs told us for this story that he never understood why his dad was meeting with these mobbed-up guys from Chicago in the weeks leading up to the King match. So there is quite a bit of corroborative evidence about Bobby Riggs's his gambling habits, uh, you know, betting with mob-linked bookmakers in California, as well as his association with mobsters across the years. Uh, Hal Shaw, the assistant golf pro you talk about there, who you interviewed for this piece, is this a story that he told many people close to him over the years and he's only gone public with it now, or was it something that he kept completely to himself? Was it some secret in his life that he didn't reveal to anybody? Oh, it was a secret in his life that he told no one. Uh, he didn't tell his wife. He didn't tell any family members. He didn't tell a soul, he says, until he told a friend of his late last year, a man named Bill Backman uh, in Tampa. And Backman called me. Uh, it was Shaw's decision to go public with this. I should tell your listeners that I knew Hal Shaw previously. Uh, I met him through research I did on a book about Babe Diedrichson Zaharias, the great American woman athlete of the 20th century who Shaw knew. And because Shaw knew me through that work, he decided that he would tell me the story. Uh, Shaw told me that I'm only the second person that he had ever told. So 
So this is something he kept secret because he feared retribution from the mob. Uh, he puts it, Tampa has had gangland killings by the mafia in the 70s and 80s, and he was worried if he even told a friend, even a close friend, that it would leak out and uh, somebody would come after him. So uh, he's 79 now, and he said it's a story he wants to tell before he dies. You spoke to Billie Jean King. I can't imagine she particularly enjoys this line of questioning. How did she respond to this fresh angle to the story? Yes, I interviewed Billie Jean King last week in New York, and when I asked her about how Shaw's story, she laughed it off and said that she would bet her life that Bobby Riggs tried 100% in his match against her, and uh, she even uh, attempted to assure me that she knew Bobby Riggs, you know, didn't consort with gamblers or meet with, uh, I'm sorry, with mobsters, and I had to correct her and say, no, actually the record is quite clear that he did, and her jaw literally dropped when I told her that, but she insists that this story is ridiculous and that it's outrageous to question the match. But, you know, the things that I keep going back to, if you watch the footage of the match, which I watched very carefully numerous times in writing this story, Bobby Riggs, who had an amazing service game, missed nearly half of his first serves. He double-faulted at key moments. He moved around listlessly around the court. Many times couldn't even get the ball to the net. I mean, it was almost comical how poorly he played. He managed to win 10 games because the, fi- the final match score was 6-4, 6-3, 6-3. Turned up his game in those, in those games that he won. But in the ones he lost, he just played horribly. And, and uh, that's why people that night and through the years, because of Bobby Riggs' reputation as a hustler and a gambler, and because of the way he played, there are many people in the tennis world that just assumed he threw the match. There's also the fact, Don, that his preparation for the match was not quite as rigorous as, uh, for instance, his preparation for the Margaret Court match or indeed any of the big matches he played. Yeah, that was the other thing that I found in the reporting uh, really stunning, actually. The Battle of the Sexes match is, was arguably the biggest match of Bobby Riggs' life and yet he didn't prepare or train for it at all in the four months leading up to it. He partied in Beverly Hills. He was staying at a guest house in Beverly Hills uh, where there were parties almost every night. I talked to the owner of the house. There were women there. Bobby was drinking bourbon and Coke and smoking fat cigars and having a lot of fun, gambling almost every day, and just did not train. He gained 15 pounds and was out of shape. In contrast, prior to the Margaret Court match, he trained 10 to 12 hours a day playing with young, fit tennis players to get in shape for that match. And uh, it was one that he wanted to win. And, and Gardner Malloy, a great tennis legend in the United States who's now 99 years old and still sharp as a tack, said to me that he's convinced Bobby Riggs purposefully put himself in a position physically that he would not be able to win by not training and by just kind of goofing around in the run-up to the Battle of the Sexes. What I find interesting about the, this, the relationship between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs is that Riggs and people can watch some of the way he hammed up the, the whole male chauvinist angle in the build-up to this match. He brings a, brings a pig in to deliver, essentially, to, to Billie Jean King, all these kind of nonsensical things. But they actually became quite close in later life. They did. And, you know, very interesting thing about this match is that uh, 
Billie Jean King being a crusader for the women's liberation movement, Bobby Riggs knew just how to get under her skin by saying that women belong only in the kitchen, in the bedroom, and not in an arena uh, playing against men. And it, it, it goaded her enough, the defeat by uh, that Margaret Court's defeat, as well as all this talk, goaded her to play, which is, if you believe Hal Shaw's story, is precisely what he said was going to happen. And his friends, Bobby Riggs' friends, insist that all of that male chauvinism on the part of Bobby Riggs was nothing but shtick. He was just a showman. He saw the press and the media eating all that up. And, uh, and so that was all shtick, they say. And yes, later in life, Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King became very close. Uh, the day before Bobby Riggs died in 1995 of prostate cancer, Billie Jean King called him, and uh, she told him, I love you. Bobby Riggs told Billie Jean King, I love you. And, and very fascinating to me, Bobby Riggs said to Billie Jean King, well, you know, we did it. We really made a difference, didn't we? So he was satisfied uh, on a, the last full day that he lived on this earth that uh, losing that match to Billie Jean King was a wonderful thing for his legacy. And this new evidence now makes you wonder whether it really was Bobby Riggs' greatest hustle of all, that he, he possibly could have lost on purpose uh, and, and made some money, made some really big money, kept that secret his whole life, and, and yet uh, he's telling Billie Jean King the last full day he's on this earth, we made a difference, and it was a wonderful thing that he did for women in the process. It's, it's, it's a fascinating way to look at it. Yeah, listen, great story. Don Vanada Jr., thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. One quote I particularly liked in Don's story, Ken, comes from a friend, Lorne Coolia. I'm not sure how you pronounce the, the surname. But he was one of the few people, really, who it seems that Don came across who was really staunchly defending the character of Bobby Riggs and saying that he would never get involved in something like that. He wouldn't be involved with the mob on something. He wouldn't, uh, he certainly wouldn't throw a tennis match. His quote <laughs> was quite pity. The mob doesn't even play tennis, <laughs> said Lorne. Maybe they don't, Lorne, but if it makes them money, I guess they... Yeah, it's not a game you traditionally associate with gangsters, but... The game here isn't tennis, it's illegal bookmaking. <laughs> and they very much do play that. And if you've got an opportunity to... I mean, it's not as though there would be huge bets on tennis. I mean, he makes his point in the piece, but this wasn't really tennis. This was a huge showbiz event. And with that kind of interest, you could sort of generate the type of um, betting market where you could uh, potentially put through a big yeah, fat fix. very different betting market in the US, well, even now, but at that time, in the UK, for example, the bookmakers, and he quotes somebody who I think has worked with, uh, worked with William Hill at the moment. Graham Sharp, I think his name was. He said at the time, um, look, he goes, <laughs> this was a freak show. Every, this was a guy who everybody knew gambled the entire time. Yeah. Uh, he was set up this crazy exhibition match. There were alarm bells going off all over the place. We didn't take any bet more than about a pound yeah. of putting that money out there. But we, we, any big bet on either person in this match, we said, okay, we'll stay away from that. Yeah, and, you know, they also speak to his his accountant, um, I think, or, you know, someone, someone who is the executor of his will. That's the same, that's the same friend, Lorne, I've just talked about. He says, there. look, you know, I knew every penny that the guy had. You know, I've, I saw every nickel and dime accounted for. If there was, I mean, there's there, there's talk in, in peace, you know, that he put on a bet of you know two hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars at five to two odds, you know. So you're talking about maybe he made a million, you know, half a million to a million dollars. It's difficult in the 1970s when you've got a million dollars for it never to show up, uh, you know, in in the financial history of your life. I mean, even if you just started making fewer withdrawals from the bank, <laughs> people are gonna say, 
it's funny that his spending seems to collapse just after that binge. Yeah. What I do find interesting that if you are going to throw a match, it seems a bit strange to so obviously train poorly for it. Yeah. It was really clear. He put on he put on a stone, one of his friends was saying. His friend saw him shortly after the Margaret Court match and then again the night before in his Houston hotel room where he was partying away with, with some girls or whatever. He met, he saw him again there and he was, this guy's put on a stone since yeah. the last there, there, I mean, there is an, in another explanation, which is that here you had a guy who actually did have some quite chauvinist attitudes, twice the worst, I think, by the time it came up to the to the case, uh, you know, had had thrashed Margaret Court so easily that he figured it's going to be a walk in the park. You know, Billie Jean King isn't even as good as Margaret Court. This is going to be easy. And afterwards, you know, had, you know, just because you play golf with a mobster doesn't necessarily... Well, when your son says that the mobster is repeatedly calling to your house in the days leading up to this event, that another person says... Italian's very sociable, always <laughs> making, making house calls. Yeah. Know. Look, I, I, there is, I think, also the innocent explanation. And then, and then, you know, would you rather be the, the sort of arrogant chauvinist pig who complacently assumed he would beat Beijing King and, you know, got his ass handed to him? Or would you have, as Don said, pulled off the greatest hustle well, of all yeah. time? You know, for, for a sort of, uh, you know, an old guy there nursing his, his bourbon and coke. Uh, I can imagine which version I'd rather tell. We'll tweet a link to that story for you. It was on ESPN, Outside the Lines, which is a series that, that they carry out. But we'll do that for you at Second Captains. Um, at Second Captains is our Twitter handle. If you haven't heard the good news, by the way, we're going to be on your TV screens very soon. I hope that's good news. Yes. Well, no, it's it's good news up until the TV show starts anyway. But no, it is, of course it's good news. And we're very, very excited about it. Second Captain's Live. It'll be on RTE 2 starting the night of Ireland's qualifier in Austria two weeks from today. That's Tuesday, September the 10th. And we are really excited about it. We're looking for your help, though, to make it a success. It is a live show. It, therefore, requires a live audience. And if you want to be part of that audience, you can come along and support us and see some great guests there and enjoy the game beforehand. And then we'll be on afterwards. The details of that are on Twitter and Facebook.com forward slash Second Captain's. Can you encourage people to come along? Please come. <laughs> the, yeah, the last thing on our Facebook page is a link to our Tumblr page and if you scroll down our Twitter feed the link to the Tumblr page is down there as well so you can't miss it yeah. Second Captain's Football coming up later on thanks Murph thank you Owen thanks Ken thank you Owen thanks Ken thanks Murph thanks guys thanks guys and thanks for listening Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.